Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it does instruct us as to how we are to live in order to please our creator. Lord, we recognize we are created beings and we need to honor our creator. And so we pray that you may help us to understand what your word says to us today and how we should live in accordance with your truth. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what is your way of showing approval to others? What do you do when you want to show someone that you approve of something? Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's a nod of the head. Maybe it's a thumbs up, showing your thumb to the person. Maybe it's taking what the person has offered you. Maybe it's saying something to them, giving verbal praise, that you're approving of what they are doing. We've had to go over this in recent, uh, the last week or so since we've had Christmas. We have to go over this with our family as to how we should show approval and how we should respond uh, to others when they do something for us, even if we don't particularly like it. At Christmas Day, with one of our families, we were exchanging gifts and one member of our family received something and opened up the present and said, I don't like it and looked away with disgust whilst the person who had given the present to them was a little taken aback and a little upset that someone would respond in that way when they were giving that to that person. And so we had to have a good chat in the car on the way home about how we as a family should respond to others and how we should show approval and how we should be polite when we don't want to show approval, when we are not approving of something that somebody has given to us. But how do you respond with approval? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we, the subject of approval, but particularly how does God approve? How does he show his approval? And we're going to be looking at the Levitical passage that is before us, Leviticus chapter 9, which I encourage you to have open before you, page 104, as we read in chapter 9 about the Levites, these priests, as they really have their first tabernacle service. This is their first time that they are going to make an offering to the Lord. They have been given instructions and they then come before the Lord and make sacrifices. And so that's my first main point this morning of my sermon, is that the sacrifices are made. Sacrifices are made. If you want to follow my main points, they're on the inside of the church bulletin there. The bulletin, if you're a regular, you will notice has had a bit of a revamp. And uh, inside there, you can actually see the main points as we go through them this morning. And the first is that sacrifices are made. The Levites are commanded by Moses, and of course then Moses gets his directions from God, as to what they should do. And we see that in verse 1 of chapter 9 of Leviticus. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Moses summons these Levites, which are Aaron and his sons. These are the priests of God's holy people. They've been appointed to represent the Israelites before God, and they are told to make sacrifices. What are the sacrifices that they're told to make at this first tabernacle service? Well, they're told firstly to take a bull calf for a sin offering. And it's not just for anyone's sin offering, it's for your sin offering, it says there in verse 2. So for Aaron and his sons, for the Levitical priests themselves, they need to have a sin offering, and that is to be a bull. What is a sin offering? Well, it's an offering that is made in response to the fact that you have sinned against God. 
The name's sort of there. If you have sinned against God, then you need to offer something in your place. And so Aaron has to offer a sin offering. He also has to offer a burnt offering, it says there in verse 2 as well. It says, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering. So not only does he have to do a sin offering, he has to do a burnt offering. And one is a bull and the other one is a ram. What is the burnt offering for? Well, burnt offerings are usually used to petition God or to praise him for something that he's done. It's basically an expression of devotion. So the sin offering is for when you've committed a a sin against God. A burnt offering is when you're wanting to praise or petition God about something. When it's not about a specific sin, but you've got another issue that you want to come before the Lord with. And so you give this burnt offering. And this burnt offering is for Aaron and his sons as well. If they're going to come to God on behalf of the people, they need to offer a burnt offering for themselves as well. And then we see that they're instructed also to make another sin offering in verse 3. Then say to the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering. So we've had a bull for a sin offering. Now they need a male goat for a sin offering. And what is this sin offering for? Well, it's for the Israelites. Previously, the bull was for the priests themselves. Now an offering has to be made for the Israelites. And not only do they have to offer a sin offering, but they also have to offer a burnt offering too. We read in verse 3, Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering. So now another calf and a lamb are going to lose their lives as a burnt offering, not for the priests, but for the Israelites themselves as well. And then we see in verse 4 that an ox and a ram also have to be offered for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord and together with a grain offering mixed with oil. It says there in verse 4. So there's another offering that has to be made, and that is this fellowship offering. It's also sometimes translated as a peace offering before the Lord. And that is where you come before the Lord in thanksgiving for something. That's uh, this offering that is to be made, this fellowship offering as well. So we've got sin offerings, we've got burnt offerings, and we've got fellowship or peace offerings that have to be made. And then we see in verse 8 and following down to verse 22 that the Levites go ahead and make these five different types of offerings to the Lord. And we read those previously together. But why would the priests bother doing all this? Why should they do this? Why should they go about this costly work? And it seems like a lot of work. They have to make all these different sacrifices. And let's remember, these animals were worth quite a lot to these Israelites, particularly the the cows. We've got an ox, we've got a bull, and the the goats and the, the lamb that are there. This is costly work that's going on. Why would the priests bother doing this? Why would they come before the Lord and do this? Well, a few reasons are given to us in the text. I've spotted three. Three reasons why the Israelites do this. Why bother? Well, firstly, the Lord commanded them to do this. We see in verse 6, Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do. God says to the Israelites, to these Levitical priests as well, he says to them, This is what you must do. Now, really, that should be the end of the story, shouldn't it, as to reasons why? You should do something. If God says it, and he is God, and he is all-powerful and all-knowing, then we should do what he says. But God doesn't just tell us to do something and give us no reasons behind why we should do something, tell us the mechanisms that are going, about, that are going on behind what he has called us to do. He doesn't just command them to do it. He gives them reasons for it. 
And one of the reasons why they should make these sacrifices to the Lord is also told to us in verse 6. It says in verse 6, Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. So that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. The Israelites were to offer these sacrifices so that God's glory would be shown to them, so that they would know that there is a God and that he is their God and he is present amongst them. And so if they want to see God's glory, if they want to know God's presence, that God is amongst them, then they need to make these sacrifices. Is there another reason given in the text as to why they should make these offerings? Well, there is in verse 7. It tells us why they should make the offerings as well. It says in verse 7, Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Three reasons. God commands it. Secondly, so that God would appear to them. Thirdly, so that atonement may be made. What does it mean to make atonement? Well, it means to come before the Lord and offer a sacrifice that would take the wrath that you deserve for your sin. So that if you make atonement, this is when you recognize that God is a holy God, that you deserve to be punished for your sin against him, for your unholiness. And so instead of that punishment coming on your head, you're making atonement. You're bridging that gap between you and God with a sacrifice. You could break up the word into basically two words, atonement, into at one If you want to understand what atonement is, it means at one where you want to come to God and recognize that there is something between you and God. You are not at one with him anymore because of your sin. And so to get at one with God again, you need a sacrifice to be made. That is how we get at one with God is by a sacrifice being put in our place and taking God's wrath. So the Israelites have three reasons to do these sacrifices. God commands it so that God will appear to them, so they'll see his glory, and so that atonement may be made, so that they can come back into God's presence and be with him, have a right relationship with him. So they make these sacrifices. Was it all a waste of time? Did it bring any results to do all these costly sacrifices? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. The sacrifices brought results. The sacrifices brought results. What results do we see in this text that come of these Israelites making the sacrifices? Well, firstly, the Lord appeared. And we see that in verses 23 and 24. Look with me, page 105 of the Black Church Bibles. Chapter 9, verse 23. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people... And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then in verse 24, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. They make these sacrifices. Does anything happen? Yes. The glory of the Lord appears. The presence of the Lord appears. And particularly they see it by this fire that comes out from the tent of meeting. And that fire really does represent God's presence amongst the people. Fire is often used in the Old Testament to show that God is present amongst his people. We just consider in 
Exodus chapter 13, it tells us about this pillar of fire that goes with the Israelites at night to guide them and a cloud by day to guide them. God's presence is shown by fire. This pillar of fire, while it's there amongst the Israelites at night, they know that God is present amongst them. And when Moses goes up Mount Sinai, there's all these billows of smoke and fire up there to represent God has descended to Mount Sinai and is speaking with Moses. God's presence is often associated with fire, and we see that here in this text as well. As the Israelites are there gathered to make these sacrifices, they see God's presence truly manifested before them with this fire that comes out from the tent of meeting. What else do we see as a result of this sacrifice? Well, we see that the Lord accepts the sacrifice of atonement. We see that the Lord accepts the sacrifice of atonement. It's very interesting what happens with this fire when it comes out in verse 24. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. The fire didn't just come out indiscriminately. It came out and consumed something in particular. And what was that? It was the sacrifices that had been put out. And so we see that God is accepting these sacrifices. He is burning them up to show that he, instead of burning up his people for approaching him in their sin, approaching a holy God in their sin, instead of fire consuming them, the fire is consuming the sacrifices that they have made. And so he is showing his approval here. He's basically giving the altar a thumbs up and saying, I like it. I'm happy with this by the fire coming out. And we see that God does this in other times in the Old Testament as well. As I read out with the kids talk and I showed with Elijah when Elijah prays that God would show his approval of the sacrifice that he has made we read in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 36 we see at the time of sacrifice the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed Lord the God of Abraham Isaac and Israel let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then what happens? Elijah's prayed this prayer. Verse 38 of 1 Kings 18 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There we see another instance where God's fire descends to show approval of the actions of his people. And here in Leviticus 9 is an example of that. Another example is Solomon's sacrifice. When Solomon dedicates the temple, he prays this magnificent prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 6, if you want to read it this afternoon, you can read Solomon's prayer. And then we read in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. Another example of God's approval being shown towards these sacrifices where fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. So the sacrifice brings results. 
Firstly, it brings the result of God's presence. Also, it shows that God is happy with their sacrifice and they have God's approval. So atonement is made, that the Israelites are back in a right relationship with God. Instead of being consumed with fire, the sacrifice is consumed with fire. What else does this sacrifice result in? What does it bring about? Well, that brings me to the third thing that we see in this text. The Israelites worshipped God. The Israelites worshipped God. Verse 24, we see this. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. They shouted for joy and fell face down. As these Israelites see God's presence manifest amongst them, as they see that atonement is made by these sacrifices, what do they do in response? They cry out and they worship God. They fall face down. It's very interesting, those two examples that I showed from the Old Testament of Elijah and Solomon have the same response on the people of Israel as well. When fire descends from, God, from God's heaven on the sacrifices, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39, what do we read? It says, when the, all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and said... And cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. When people see this fire descending from heaven, they, they fall to the ground in worship. And they cry out. In verse 24 of Leviticus 9, it says there that they shouted for joy. That's a possible translation, but the word literally in Hebrew is to just cry out. There's a bit of an assumption with the NIV translation there that it's with joy that they cry out. It's interesting what they do in 1 Kings chapter 18 when... When Elijah sees this fire come down and they see it, they cry out, but they say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It's almost a holy fear in them. They're recognizing that God is the God of the universe and they should worship him. And it's also in that instance in Second Chronicles chapter 7 where fire falls from heaven with Solomon. What do the people do in response? In verse 3 of Second Chronicles 7 it says, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. And so we see with these Israelites, as they see God manifest amongst them, as they see that atonement is made for their sins, they see this fire coming out, they fall to the ground and worship God accordingly. So this is the Israelites. This is many, many years ago. We may be thinking, what relevance does this actually have to us today? This is for a particular people in a particular time in a particular place. And really, why are we spending some time on a Sunday morning looking at this obscure part of God's word? Leviticus chapter 9, part of the Bible that we probably rarely read. Leviticus, it just seems all these different laws that we don't really have to keep today. Why would we look at this this morning? Well, I think it points us to the fact that a sacrifice still needs to be made. A sacrifice still needs to be made. And that's my third main point this morning. Today, a sacrifice must still be made. A sacrifice must still be made. What sacrifice is needed today? What sacrifice is even possible? Should you go out and get an ox and get a bull and get a goat and get a grain offering with oil and come before the Lord and offer it to him? Well, the Bible tells us that a sacrifice has been made on our behalf if we accept it in faith, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus on the cross was offering himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. But you may say, do I need to bother offering Jesus as a sacrifice? Do I need to accept Jesus as a sacrifice? Well, I think you do. For similar reasons that the Israelites had to offer a sacrifice back here in Leviticus chapter 9. What did the what were the reasons why they had to offer a sacrifice? Firstly, the Lord commanded it. And the Bible tells us to trust in Jesus Christ as sacrifice for our sins. The New Testament, John chapter 6, verse 29 says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What's the work of God for you? What must you do? What does he command you to do? Believe in the one he has sent. To believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Which, to be honest, is far easier than what the Israelites had to do in the Old Testament and far less costly. All you have to do is trust that Jesus Christ died for you. They had to bring costly animals from their flocks to offer to the Lord. And every time they sinned, they had to do this. This isn't just a one-off occurrence that happens in Leviticus 9. No, it happened again and again in the Old Testament. They did it again and again, as we see with Solomon and Elijah. But that's not the only instances either. All we have to do is trust that Jesus Christ died for us. And a sacrifice is made. Why else should you bother having Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for your sins? Well, it's so that the Lord will appear to you. The Lord promises to appear to those who come to him through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. It's only through Jesus that we can approach God. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way, this is Jesus speaking, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God. No one sees the Father except through me. If you want to see God, if you want to know God, if you want to have God appear to you, then it has to be through Jesus Christ, through accepting the sacrifice of Christ by trusting that he died for you. Why else should you offer Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for your sins? Why should you accept his sacrifice? Well, God commands it so that God will appear to you. Thirdly, so that atonement may be made for your sins. You may think the Israelites are a sinful group of people, but surely you're not. The Bible tells us that we are. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all at discord with God. We all need at one to be made between us and God. We, have, we haven't got a right relationship with God because of our sin. We need a sacrifice to be there in our place. Or otherwise, fire will descend upon us one day. Either fire descends upon Jesus Christ at the cross or fire descends upon us. And we just read that passage from Second Peter chapter 3 that speaks about the fire that is coming, the destruction that is upon us. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. A fire is coming that will destroy the heavens and the earth and us along with them. 
we will be destroyed with an eternal fire in hell. Unless we are at peace with God, unless we do what it says there, make sure or make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. How can you be spotless, blameless and at peace with God when you recognise that you are a sinful creature, that you are at discord with God? How can your sins be forgiven? Well, it's by having Jesus Christ take the wrath of God in your place, accepting it by faith. But does the sacrifice of Jesus Christ really bring such results? We've seen that we do it to have God appear to us, to have atonement made for us. Does he bring such results? We see that the sacrifices of the Israelites brought results. What about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Does it truly bring results to us today? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Today, the sacrifice of Jesus brings results. The sacrifice of Jesus brings results. If you offer Christ as a sacrifice for your sins, God's presence does come to you. We see this in the New Testament where God's presence came to the apostles literally as fire. What happened on the day of Pentecost for the apostles? Tongues of fire came and descended upon the apostles. God's presence was manifested to the apostles. And today, God still appears to those who accept Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for their sins. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus says, uh, John says about Jesus that Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. If you become a Christian, God does appear to you. You can experience God living within you. Now, I think sometimes we can play down experience because some people play up experience so much and experience can be dangerous if you think that you should do something because it feels right to you I'd ask you to question uh, whether it is something that you should do but we are still people who have emotions, we are people who are created by God to experience things and the Christians in this room have experienced the presence of God within them There is a joy, there is a a knowledge of God that he is living within them and that God has manifested himself to them, not literally with their eyes, but by faith. They know God and what he has done for them. And particularly, you can experience this if you haven't experienced it uh, much as a Christian. From my own personal life, I experience the presence of the Lord most when I'm at prayer or reading his word. And so I encourage you, if you're a Christian and you want to experience the presence of God more, accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sins, make sure you've done that, but then come before the Lord in prayer and Bible reading and at worship with his people. When you come into church together, there should be a feeling that there is the presence of God is amongst us. That's what I pray for with these services, that God would manifest himself to us, that people would feel that God is amongst us on Sunday by Sunday, that as we come together, it's not just this mindless lecture that we walk into, but that it's the presence of God that we're walking into. And so the sacrifice of Christ does bring that as a result. If you're a visitor in here this morning and you don't know about Christianity and you aren't a Christian, then I encourage you to speak to some of the Christians here this morning and ask them how have they experienced God in their lives? What is another result that the sacrifice of Christ brings? We've seen that it brings the presence of God into us. It also brings atonement for us. How do we know that Jesus Christ really did pay for our sins at the cross? 
we see that with the sacrifice of the Levites, that the fire falling shows that atonement was indeed accepted. How do we know that Jesus Christ's work was sufficient? Well, it's by his resurrection. We read in the New Testament, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he, that's Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised for our justification. Was raised for our justification. By Christ coming back to life shows that his death was sufficient for our sins. That he indeed made atonement for our sins. And so if you want to know if Christ really did pay for your sins, examine the resurrection. Examine whether the resurrection really did take place. And I've got lots of helpful little books that I could give you on that subject. How can you know that the resurrection took place? Because if the resurrection took place, then the atonement took place at the cross. And so we know that the sacrifice of Jesus does bring results. It brings an appearance of the Lord in ourselves, but also it brings about the resurrection of Christ, that atonement was made that day on Calvary. And what is another result that the sacrifice of Jesus brings? Well, like the Israelites, if we understand what the sacrifice of Christ has done, then we will worship God. What did the Israelites do? As they saw that that sacrifice was approved by God, as they saw God manifest amongst them, what did they do? They cried out and they fell on their faces in worship of God. And that's what we do as Christians. When we understand that God has manifested himself to us, as we understand that Christ has made atonement for our sins, that he has paid the penalty that we deserve, instead of fire falling upon us, fire has fell on Jesus Christ, what should we do in response to that? Cry out in worship. Honour the God who would give his son for us so that we could go free, so that our sins would be forgiven. So this morning, I have to ask you, have you offered Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for your sins? Have you offered him as a sacrifice for your sins? Has atonement been made for you? Have you accepted Jesus' work of the cross by faith, trusting that he died in your place? And if you have, have you enjoyed the presence of the Lord? As a Christian, do you know what it feels like to have God within you, to have God's Holy Spirit living in you, to know a nearness to the Lord? Do you know what it means to have atonement made for you? You've trusted that Jesus Christ died for you, but do you understand the ramifications of that, that your sins are paid for, that you're holy in God's eyes because of what Christ has done? And have you cried out in worship to God? If you've sacrificed Jesus Christ for yourself, if you've offered him, if you've accepted him by faith, have you cried out in worship? That's the response that we should make. We should be willing to worship God because of what Christ has done for us. We should be seeking his presence day by day, week by week, Sunday service by Sunday service, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. As we come together, we should be worshipping the Lord because we know what he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's come before our God in prayer. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word tells us that there is a way to have our sins forgiven. There is a way to make atonement. That is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we simply trust that he died for us, we can be right with you.
So, Lord, we pray that we may offer the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, we pray that we may know that he is the way of salvation, that he is the way by which we can approach you, the Father. He is the way by which we have the Holy Spirit live in us. And he is the way by which we worship you. Lord, we pray that those in this room who have not accepted the sacrifice of Christ may do so. Lord, we pray that we who have may continue to cry out and worship you as those Israelites did thousands of years ago. As we know what you have done for us in Christ, may we love to worship you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.